It's Milwaukee's Tailgate, the midweek mini pod episode 10 or something. A little bit too sad and depressed to be able to figure out exactly which number that we're going for here. The Brewers just dropped the one game wildcard playoff to the Washington Nationals 4-3. to And I was planning to do a mini pod uh, celebrating the wildcard win and going into what would be the divisional series against the Dodgers. Unfortunately, things didn't work out. But I think there was a lot to talk about and a lot to reflect on regarding that game and put out a, a poll on Twitter. I, I wasn't necessarily expecting people to say that they wanted to have 15 or 20 minutes of Brewers news and Brewers talk after a very gutting loss. But everyone said that they wanted it. Uh, some people said they needed it for a little bit of therapy and who knows, maybe I needed a little bit as well. So let's let's talk about the, the Brewers and the Nationals. We've got to talk a couple of housekeeping things though. Uh, of course, rem- remember that you can help fans find the podcast. You can rate and review Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We do want your questions uh, on the main podcast, absolutely. So email them to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. You can follow our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter. You can do all of that kind of stuff. And make sure that you're paying attention to our Packers podcast, which is reporting as eligible, which has been a wonderful podcast thus far. Our uh Patreon subscribers, so patreon.com slash tailgate. Our MMB and Ball and Glove patrons receive the monthly Minor League Extra podcast, which Ryan and I do, and then also the uh, midweek kind of bonus pods for the Reporting is Eligible Packers podcast, where you've got Paul doing a wonderful job going in-depth in into something related to the, the Packers' upcoming game for that week. So highly recommend it. Thank you to everybody who does subscribe, but please consider doing it as well. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and their perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for their great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA, but you can always stop down to the Carbon 4 Tap Room on Kinsman Boulevard in Madison. They've always got great stuff on tap. Be sure to tell them that Milwaukee's Tailgate sent you, and as friends of the podcast, you all can get 20% off of Merch in the Carbon 4 web store. Use the promo code MKETailgate. That's 20% off merch. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. All right, let's talk about the Nationals and Brewers. So first and foremost, I feel I feel pretty bad for, for Trent Grisham, who had the professional season of his life in 2019, starting in AA and basically hitting his way into starting for the Brewers. And yeah, Kristen Yelich ended up getting injured, and that's mainly the reason he started. But he hit his way into starting for the Brewers in a one-game wildcard playoff, which is pretty cool to think that Trent Grisham got that far, only to mis- make a mistake in a crucial game where the entire baseball landscape's eyes were basically fixed on him. He's going to carry this one, I think. He doesn't deserve to do that. We all make mistakes, but we all know that that sports fans don't forget, and they rarely forgive. But I'm hoping that Brewers fans can can choose to embrace their young outfielder in this one. You know, he was the he was the minor league player of the year. He deserves praise. He deserves a lot of deserves a lot of support from the entire Brewers fan base in terms of what he was able to do and the and the fact that he was able to come in and produce, especially when the MVP of the National League in 2018 and arguably should be the MVP of the National League in 2019 went down with injury, and Grisham was one of the main guys to to step in and fill that hole he deserves praise for it 
but we've seen what happened with guys like Sean Markham in the past and what was the 20 that would have been 2011 where Sean Markham had a wonderful season it was one of the big reasons why the Brewers went to the playoffs that year ended up struggling in the playoff series and and nobody's really forgotten that nobody's forgiven him for that and I think that that Grisham's gonna carry this one for a bit but again I really hope that everybody kind of takes a step back and, and embraces him for this one because I think that he had a wonderful year and I felt just terribly for him especially watching him in the clubhouse just kind of staring off into space it's a thing that can I mean it can ruin a young player and so I'm hoping that, you know, the fan base doesn't necessarily do anything that makes it any worse. But let's kind of look back at the start of the game because there were a lot of things that actually went well for the Brewers throughout. Brewers had a couple of home runs to start right away. Yes, Monty Grandal hit a two-run shot off of Max Scherzer in the first inning. You had Eric Thames basically turn on. So you got Max, Max Scherzer, right, one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. And you've got Eric Thames sitting up there as a lefty. Max Scherzer goes backdoor breaking ball I think it was you know 83 84 miles an hour backdoor breaking ball outer part of the plate and you've got Eric Thames reaching out getting to it pulling it hitting it for an absolute kind of no doubt home run to right center field it was awesome it was one of those things that of course in the back of your mind you're like god the juice ball makes that thing and it's one of the things that like Justin Verlander has talked about ad nauseum. He's like, the fact that guys can turn on or go the opposite way on breaking balls on the outside part of the plate, that's something that nobody used to be able to, used to be able to hit those for singles or doubles or whatever. If you were a great hitter, you could hit it into the gap. But in general, it wasn't just anyone hitting those for homers. And you've got somebody like Eric Thames, who's absolutely jacked, right? I mean, he's got ton, tons of power. But the fact that he's hitting that out for a home run, is crazy, and then he later in the game ended up hitting what looked like, and I and I tweeted about this. It was he. It looked like he hit just a routine pop up to to maybe you know shallow left field, or I even thought maybe it was going to be a little bit deep for the shortstop, but the shortstop was going to be able to get to it. Ended up going all the way, and he almost hit a home run. Ended up getting a double on it, got over the left fielder's head, hit the wall, and it was one of those things that was just like God. The juice ball has is like has completely changed the game in 2019. The Brewers were able to take advantage of it. Nobody's going to complain about it. But it's just it's one of those things that every single time you watch a game, you just have individual moments where you're like, that's not the game that I was used to watching even five years ago, much less now. But the Brewers were able to get out to what was a, a three 3-0 lead, but then ended up being a 3-1 lead because you had Trey Turner take Brandon Woodruff deep on what was 80, I think it was, you know, 87 and a half if you went by what Major League Baseball was putting up. But it was basically 80, uh, 98 mile an hour fastball up in the zone, almost to the top of the zone, but it was right down the middle of the plate. Trey Turner ended up taking it out to left center field. And that happens. He's a good hitter, and that's a tough pitch to turn on. So the fact that he was able to get to it, it was, it was tough. But you have Brandon Woodruff look good again. He was giving up some hard contact, but I think a lot of people were, I mean, the Nationals are good hitters. They're going to make good contact. And you have Brandon Woodruff, who is the best, I think it might even be the best pitcher on the, the Brewers roster, period. And I include Josh Hader in that. There, It's gotten to the point right now that, that Brandon Woodruff is sitting, 
you know, 90, 96, 97 with the fastball. He's got a good slider. He's got a changeup that he's able to use regularly now. And he's, and he's missing bats. He's pounding the zone. And he looks like he could be an absolute workhorse for the Brewers in 2020. He comes in and gives four really good innings. And it was exactly what the Brewers needed to be able to do. It was clear that the Brewers wanted to be able to use Pomeranz and Hayter for two innings apiece if they could. They wanted Woodruff to go three or four innings. They wanted to be able to bridge to the sixth with a lead if possible. And then they wanted to go Pomeranz. They wanted to go Hayter. They wanted to absolutely lock it down, get it done. Woodruff ended up going four. He ended up giving them more than I think they probably expected going into the game. Then you had the reason that, and and to take a step back, I think one of the reasons why that was such a big effort by Woodruff to end up getting through the fourth was because you had somebody like Brett Suter warming up and, and it was looking like Brent Suter was going to come in for the fourth inning. And you've got Brent Suter set up to face uh, Anthony Rendon, uh, might have been uh, Howie Kendrick in that in that inning and not Rendon, but basically middle of the order type bats, middle of the order right handed bats that have absolutely murdered left handed pitching pitching this year. And yes, Brent Suter has been great against righties and lefties, but it's a, a small sample, and we know the kind of stuff that Suter has, the kind of guys he's vulnerable to, and you don't want him to face elite hitters, especially elite right handed hitters, if you don't have to do it. So the fact that Brandon Woodruff could get through the fourth, you could get Suter to come in in the fifth, where it was the back half of the the uh, the lineup, that was huge. And the fact that he ended up like then turning it over to the to the front half, I think makes it even stronger. It makes it even a stronger claim as to why it was actually really important that Woodruff got through the fourth because it was able to get Suter into a position in which he could potentially and be set up for the best possible scenario for him. And then they only had to be able to get through the fourth inning. They didn't have to go to somebody like Freddie Peralta and, and Freddie Peralta can look great and, and he can look absolutely brutal at times, right? I mean, there's often no middle ground for him either. And so in a one game playoff, taking that kind of like flip of the coin is not necessarily something I think Craig council wanted, wanted to do. So he could go suitor and then, if they could get to Pomeranz for two and Hater for two, that was exactly what they wanted to be able to do. So Suter got through the fifth. The Brewers got put on lockdown basically because Scherzer ended up leaving the game. Strasburg came in and Strasburg was lights out. Just basically straight up dominant like he's been throughout the vast majority of the year. So Pomeranz comes in. Pomeranz looks good for his two innings. And it is worth noting because I think I was, well, I mean, I would, I don't even, I don't even have to qualify. I mean, I was very down on the trade when it ended up happening because Pomeranz had, I think, five innings of relief appearance in 2019 that the Brewers were basically basing their entire trade on, and then they moved somebody like Dubon, who was going to help them for this year, and in which Arcia has continued to struggle, and Dubon was going to help going forward as well. So the fact that you had those two those two things kind of working in tandem that you were giving up somebody that was not only going to be helpful in the future, but helpful now on a team that was trying to compete. But then Pomerantz had such a small sample. Like that was just a a move that I didn't really care for. I mean, I guess I understood it 
if I thought about it enough, but I didn't really understand the motivation behind it. But Pomeranz was excellent for the Brewers in the second half. And I put on Twitter that I don't think that the Brewers actually would have made the postseason if it weren't for Drew Pomeranz. And he came in in, in the sixth and the seventh inning in a one-game playoff and absolutely just mowed through the Nationals. Showed how good he was and showed why he's going to be somebody who is going to to probably command a pretty good contract in the offseason. Maybe an Adam Adovino-type contract, maybe a little bit more. I wouldn't be surprised to see somebody willing to go maybe you know, three for 18, three for 20, something like that. He might get a little bit bump, uh, a little bit of a bump over some other guys because he's shown the ability to get extended and he can start where some of the other kind of like relievers only. And somebody like Adovino is not going to go to two innings as well. And Pomeran shows that he can be a multi-inning guy and he can handle lefties and righties. I think he's going to be a really attractive prospect for people on on the free agent market, whether the Brewers go in, you know, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But Pomeranz on Tuesday night, phenomenal for the Brewers, ended up getting them to the eighth where they turned to Josh Hader. The thing about Josh Hader has always been his his lack of command and the fact that he can struggle to find the zone. And even when he's within the zone, he doesn't necessarily throw good strikes all the time. But the other thing with Hader is is the home run ball. And so if you were looking at what the Brewers were going to be kind of guarding against, it was hoping that he was going to be able to throw for strikes, but then basically say, just, just don't give up a home run. Don't give up a base runner because you cannot give up a home run. And so what ended up happening is he was struggling with his command, but then like just some crazy, just some crazy stuff happened. You had the hit by pitch to Michael Taylor and like I don't want to get into into replay too much but you've got the scenario in which they want to say that they need clear visual evidence that it did that it hit the bat before it hit the hand right that's what they're going to say is they're going to say based on the actual evidence that we're able to see in the video itself we couldn't see that it hit the ball and not, or it hit the bat, maybe not the bat and the hand at the exact same time or something like that. But it just takes a little bit of logic to understand that if you have somebody throwing 97, 98 miles an hour, if if Michael Taylor gets hit in the hand, there's no way that A, he's, hand, that he's hanging on to the bat at that point, or B, that he's not reacting in pain in any way. It's clear that it hits the bat and then hits, maybe it does hit his hand after that and then it bounces into him. And then his, you know, his face ends up going back because he's reacting to a ball that's flying to his face. But it, he doesn't exhibit any visible emotion in any way that you would expect if it, you're hitting somebody's hand. Where I just, it, it was one of those crazy things that I was like, look, I understand, like, objectively what you need to find but use a little bit of common sense to recognize that if it that you can ask yourself if it hits his hand what would happen you know like the court of law is using these things where they say like a reasonable person might do these things any reasonable person or or anyone who has bones in their hand is going to react in that way so first of all that was just kind of that was unbelievable to me but you then had the moment in which Ryan Zimmerman gets this like broken bat blue single up the middle, which you can't really legislate against that. I mean, 
it was a good pitch. It was just one of those things that it, and it ended up finding a spot. And Rendon was able to get on via a walk, which we've seen happen in the past. And Juan Soto comes up and does... I mean, Juan Soto is one of the best hitters in baseball. The fact that he comes in and puts together a good at-bat even against a lefty is not, you know, all that confusing. But it was those crazy things to start the inning that just, you know, made you want to pull your hair out. And then you had the really unfortunate moment where... Trent Grisham, you know, didn't play the ball right, played it off to the side, ended up getting by him, and then that let the winning run in. And it was just a confluence of really crazy things that ended up coming together. It was something I don't think you can necessarily blame on any one individual. The Brewers had the exact plan that they wanted to do. They got to to somebody like Max Scherzer, who's one of the best pitchers in baseball. They got to him early. Woodruff pitched well. Suter got through what he needed to do. Pomeranz got through what he needed to do. And Hayter wasn't great, but he doesn't necessarily deserve to have the inning that he that he ended up having either. But the Brewers are going home. And, you know, baseball, I think, in some ways, is one of the most interesting sports when it's like it, it forces you to confront things that are super uncomfortable, right? One of the things that ends up driving people into you know, replay that drives people into just getting crazy about these numbers to find out like deserved runs and all these things is we want to say the best team won on any given day, that people deserved what they got on the field. Just like we want to believe in life that people end up getting what they deserve, right? That that dictates a lot of the ideologies that we have in the world, much less sports. And baseball regularly forces you to deal with the fact that things happen that probably shouldn't have. That bad things can, you know, like to, to do it the most existentially, that bad things can happen to good people and that you've just got to be able to sit and, and deal with that. Josh Hader didn't deserve a lot of the things that ended up happening to him and he's going to walk off with a loss. Is that fair? No. It's part of baseball, though. And one of the things that I actually appreciate about baseball is if you follow it enough, you end up analyzing it enough that it actually gets you to a place where you do recognize that mistakes happen, that things happen that necessarily shouldn't shouldn't happen, and, and how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that as a person? How do you deal with that as a player? How do you deal with that as a team? And I think, for me, it, it's something that helps me deal with these things a little bit better, and knowing that that's baseball, man. You know, you hear about it all the time. It was one of the things that I ended up kind of growing up and hearing from my coaches and my parents a lot is bad things happen, you know, when I was playing Little League or going into playing in high school and it was just yeah sometimes that's baseball things happen you gotta deal with it just move on and I don't want to say that like everybody has to move on but we don't necessarily need to get into a place where we legislate everything and recognize that the Brewers ended up having a wonderful September one of the best Septembers in in team history ended up making the postseason when by all accounts they probably shouldn't have if you got to the beginning of September you had Christian Yelich ended up getting lost for the the rest of the year on the IL. And the Brewers still were able to put together an incredible run to get to the postseason. Probably shouldn't have happened, if we're honest. There's so many things all throughout September that probably shouldn't have happened. And then when you get to the eighth inning on Tuesday night, it probably shouldn't have happened either. Things even out, I think, over a long long period of time. Sometimes they don't even out, but doesn't take away all of the really great things that the Brewers did all throughout the year. Doesn't take away 
how good of a pitcher Josh Hader is, how good of a player, and how good of a year Trent Grisham had. And so for me, I'm taking a lot of really great things actually from the Brewers, the Brewers year. Taking a lot of great things even from from Tuesday night. Like there were a lot of really positive things from that game. And yeah, it's brutal when it comes down to it at the end. But you can hang your hat on a lot. And I think people listening to this do, you know, we want something positive to be able to take from it. I think there are a lot of positives that we can take from it. And I know that, you know, with Steve and Ryan, we'll talk about a lot of stuff over the weekend. We'll kind of dig into it a little bit more. But as of now, I just want to say that I think it it was a, a wonderful year. It was a wonderful season. And we're looking forward to talking about all this stuff all throughout the offseason and getting ready again for hopefully what is a a postseason run for 2020. All right, so that's going to do it for this mini-pod. And just keep in mind as you go forward, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. You know the whole thing about our patrons. Our, our patrons at the MNB and Ball and Glove level, they get the monthly Minor League Extra podcast. They get our weekly Extra Packers podcast that come out comes out for reporting as eligible. And just make sure you're following us on Twitter. It's at tailgate. You can find us on Facebook. You can do all those things. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, wherever you listen to your podcast. You can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. You can make Steve laugh. And thank you very, very much for listening. I'll be back on Monday, and hopefully uh, the fellows won't be too, too depressed. We'll see you on Monday.